0: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Ladies and
0: gentlemen, quickly, quickly, we haven't got long. Please listen to the all new Angelo and Podcast.
1: podcast. It's a family one. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.
0: Oh, my God, it's hilarious. There's so much muck in it.
1: The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like, Mr. Taylor?
0: <laughs> Chart music. <laughs> <laughs> Chart music.
1: You pop-crazy youngsters, and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hand right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, but never mind me, it's all about these two people right here. One of those is Neil Kulkarni. How do? And the other one is Taylor Paul Hello, all right. Oh, boys, the Triforce which is Team ATV land, <laughs> has realigned once again. Oh, what amazing powers are going to emanate over the next God knows how many hours. <laughs> of this first question, the pop things and the interesting things that have occurred since we last met. Come on, tell me. Yeah. Tell me now.
2: It's the tail end of a pandemic blues, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Everyone's got them. Like mm-hmm. trying to work up the enthusiasm to clean the flat because someone might see it oh, yeah. <laughs> soon, um, you know, in case anyone ever sees it again. Something touching and slightly poignant about me stood there all hopeful, you know, trying to get oh. tannin stains out of tea mugs, as I know Neil has also been doing oh, yes. recently. <laughs> yeah. As though there were a future. I only got halfway there, though, because I was using bicarbonate of soda, and I got distracted by a thing on the tub which said... Uh, to make a simple baking powder, add one part bicarbonate of soda to two parts cream of tartar. And <laughs> what? I started thinking about all these generations of now dead housewives and all this knowledge gone, you know, yeah. disappearing. And I got a bit upset and bit oh. gloomy and so that was a good excuse to stop work
0: <laughs> <laughs> no oddly enough you know bleaching my mugs has been one of the highlights to be honest with you um, it, I mm, still oh, feel quite a
1: lively salon like debate <laughs> on your Facebook
0: over the, the correct procedure of cleaning mugs wasn't it absolutely A sharing of this old wisdom that is as Taylor indicates is kind of passing uh, mm. yeah we are at the tail end um, I'm feeling slightly alarmed not alarmed but worried about the future because I'm noticing some habits creeping into my behavior as i get re-engaged with kind of going out and going to buildings and meeting people again um you know I- i'm noticing sort of worrying feelings of incipient senility really that have been creeping into my behavior oh, no. and particularly my language of late i feel that my my changing um, sort of nomenclatures for people reflect that i'm at a kind of crossroads in my life a while back oh, things were things were simple a while back i called everyone you know work colleagues students kids i call them all mate right now right. this is now shifting um a bit worryingly like i i've started a few years ago calling everyone i consider an equal um boss um you know yes. combining that kind of deference that i think appeals to fellow lecturers and the guy behind the counter at the istanbul kebab shop but mm. um, and that was fine there's been a worrying development of late whereby boss has been replaced by chief Ooh. and yeah, which is, I don't know, I think I got that off my dad or something, because right. he used to say chief to, I don't know, toll booth operators. But um yeah, I've also started calling people who are younger than me, son, which oh, is man. really worrying. <laughs> oh man, look, there was a kid the other day, actually it wasn't a kid, He was a fellow lecturer, but he is younger than me, and um, he had his mask on and he was doing the old, you know, under the nose fucking thing, <sighs> um, which drives me at the wall. So I said to him, and, and I don't know where it came from. I didn't decide on this sentence beforehand. But yeah, I said to him, get that over your face, son. You know, and I've started doing
1: it. And and I started using chief too much as well. I can't use chief because I, I lived in London in the early 90s. And, and chief was a term of absolute fucking abuse. Really? If you wanted to coat someone down, you'd call them a fucking chief. <laughs> <laughs> when I was at university, I used to work in a cinema and there was this one lad called Jame, mm. and he'd wear his richmond odian uniform but mm. he'd gangster it up so everything was like ultra bagger and yeah, yeah. rolled up here and all that kind of stuff and he got away with it and he would just call everyone a chief <laughs> and uh, i started hearing it elsewhere and i said what does that actually mean chief that's you know that that's not really an insult is it he says oh yeah it means you're the chief of the fools what? <laughs> <laughs> so I just started using it all the fucking time. Look at that fucking chief over there. Man. I,
0: I've never heard
1: chief. It's a great insult when you think about it, because mm. you, if you don't know, you, you don't know you're being coated down. I don't think anyone knows that outlet. I've never heard it used
0: as a pejorative in that fashion. But um, ooh, ooh, right. maybe that might moderate my usage. I mean, of course, a deeper worry is that chief might seem a little off to, I don't know, female counter staff, et cetera, that I might use it with.
1: Yeah, a Native American patriarchs well, yeah. as well. Yes, yeah. of course.
0: But I, I do have this awful feeling that my mind might settle. I mean, it,
1: is it time for me, I
0: don't know, am I going to start calling female counter staff and other female um sort of colleagues, like, love, petal, yeah. flower? I'm worried about that. Um, I might have to quarantine myself for the rest of my life.
1: This is one of the great things about coming from Nottingham. You just call everyone Doug. Mm. And no one ever gets offended. It's a word you can say to anyone. It doesn't matter. It could be this like this most strident feminist mm. or absolute meathead. Oh, can you pass me that thing over there, please, duck? And no one gets upset by it. Everyone understands what mm. you're getting at there.
0: Except ducks. Yeah, except ducks. So, yeah, I mean, yes. apart from that change in my, in my linguistics, um it, it's not been popping interesting stuff. The stuff I found interesting in recent months has been the bleaching of mugs, The fixing Mm. of my shed. That was a big day, man. And um, well played. Yes. And I'm now the owner of a tumble dryer. Um, Oh, it's a life changing moment. Stowing away my clothes horses. It really does feel like a bold, new, sexy, and exciting chapter is opening up in my life. The (laughs) tumble dryer years are back.
1: You know what, now? I'm not stalking you in any way, right? You got a man bra. I got one. Yeah. You got an air fryer at the beginning of the year. I've oh, yes. got one. Oh, and aren't oh, they yes. fucking brilliant? Oh,
0: they're fucking amazing. Life-changing.
1: What they don't tell you about air fries is, yes, you use less oil on your chips. But that means that you just eat twice as many chips <laughs> as before, man. I'm telling you, I've been having some proper, vino you know, slap-up meals. Oh, yeah. You know, a big mountain of chips with Bits of sausages and pies sticking out. I can't believe air
0: fryers haven't been arrived at as a solution before. Fundamentally, because now, I'm sure, like me, Al, as a fellow air fryer owner, you're now looking mm. at your oven just thinking, what is the fucking point of you?
1: Yeah, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah, taking up space. Fucking chief.
0: <laughs>
2: I have to say, I'm I'm feeling totally alienated by <laughs> this bourgeois chit chat.
1: <laughs> but the thing is, Neil, I've also got a tumble dryer now. Uh- Quite recently, yeah, I inherited my mum's when she moved out. So, right, right, so yeah, right. just loving life. Oh yeah, all that lint that you never knew you had is <laughs> fucking great,
0: isn't it? The faint warmth, the smell, the the the, the mm. hum of it—it's just wonderful. Never having to worry about trapping my fingers in a clothes horse ever a fucking game. Yeah, I did buy a
2: bowl recently because oh. I, I broke one in the sink.
0: What
1: cut um, your hair? You,
2: it's a different world. I'm telling you. Look, I I'm just. I've lost the concentration even to watch cheap old horror films now. Mm. Oh, I'm just I'm just so worn down and, and hollowed out and poor. i have just sat watching terrible American TV documentaries about the monkeys and stuff. That was what I was Whoa. watching last night. It's like, it comes on and goes, <laughs> they rode the last train to Clarksville to unimaginable riches, but it turned into... A runaway train. <laughs> this is the legend of Davy, Johnny, Mickey, Davy, Ian, Mickey, Douglas, Stuart, Mickey, Bernice, and Davy. The legend. Of the legend of the monkeys. And it's just like an hour of this. And then mm. they have an ad break every five minutes and I have to recap. Uh, and I was <laughs> sat there just sprawled in front of this, couldn't move to switch it off. And then it finished. And then the next video comes on. And the next video is tribal people rate British snacks. <laughs> And there's this guy. He's like a Punjabi guy, I think, and he's got big rings on and like Punjabi dress. Mm. And he's eating a wagon wheel. <laughs> and he has a bit. And then he says something. And the subtitle comes up, and it says, "It's very tasty." <laughs> oh yeah, oh, right, yeah. And so I finally stirred myself and pressed the button to skip to the next video. But Mm. the next video is tribal people react to Iron Mike Tyson's epic knockout. (laughs) And I just feel too uncomfortable in this world now as it folds in on itself. And that's just staying in my front room. Fuck knows what it's going to be like when I go outside. Mm. But good news. Big things on the horizon. I'm currently in negotiations with the estate of Charles M. Schultz to write (laughs) a new series of animated TV specials featuring those much-loved characters from Peanuts. I've completed a series of draft scripts, six of them titled in order... You're a burden to your friends, Charlie Brown. For fuck's sake, it's fucking Christmas, Charlie Brown. Your inability to cope with overwhelming feelings of worthlessness and dread makes you even more unattractive, Charlie Brown. I saw it was you and let it go to voicemail, Charlie Brown. Your so-called cry for help was selfish and unfair on others, Charlie Brown. And the season finale if only there was something we could have done to help you, Charlie Brown. <laughs> now, I, it's fair to say I've met a bit of resistance from the grey suits and the bean counters mm-hmm. who don't understand that I'm taking this thing back to the spirit of the original cartoons. I mm. gather they're especially concerned about my decision to kill off the dog in episode two. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're probably probably worried about the merchandise, i shouldn't yeah. wonder i'd uh parasites enemies yeah. of creativity and anyway who says you can't sell a lunchbox with just a, a weeping woodstock on it you know <laughs> sat on an empty kennel i think it would shake things up a bit and uh you know raise awareness yeah um mm. but if the philistines prevail i'm planning to fall back on my other pet project, which is to coax Dennis Waterman out of retirement (laughs) and raise Robin Williams from the grave uh, for the crossover series that we all deserve, uh, Mork and Minder. (laughs) (laughs) Where Mork Says uh, Nanu, Nanu, what is this thing you Earthlings call a lockup full of water-damaged umbrellas? <laughs> and Terry McCab punches him in the face. Says, Go and tell Orson about that, you jabbering prick. <laughs> uh,
1: my, my my downtime at the minute consists of thanks to you, Taylor. Is watching old episodes of Little and Large. Oh, <coughs> oh yeah. Oh fuck me. <laughs> fuck me. What do you want to do that for?
2: Did you think they were going to be good? <laughs>
1: I thought. You know what? I'll do next time I have people run. I'll do a supercut of Little and Large doing the pop greats yeah. of the time. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I wish I hadn't had done that.
0: There's a lot, as I recall. There's quite a lot of blacking up, isn't there, with Little and Large? Yes, yeah. there is. Yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Sid Little blacks up. They do in the Navy by Village People. Oh. And you, you can imagine. And we were quite shocked by that weren't We tell you that the gay doll was uh, functioning that early. Yeah. In the Navy, you can join your fellow man. In the Navy, be a Larry Grayson fan. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he was He was the other gay one. Yes. <laughs> yes. It
1: works. They do uh, Bony M, don't they? Oh, Christ uh, yeah I kind of stopped watching it by about 1983 the fifth series because they, they stopped going on about pop music by then mm.
2: it hasn't matured yet Al you've got to watch the last series from 1991 what uh, what hold, 1991. hold on 1991 you're yes. fucking yeah. joking me
0: no oh my Godfather,
2: get on one
1: matey <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah when they do salt to soul yes <laughs> <And> NWA <laughs> yeah. but I <laughs> I switched from that, and I, I thought, you know what? you got to go back to the fucking classics. Monkey. Mm. And yeah, I actually thought, Taylor, to, kind of like wheeling back to uh, what you've been up to, the monkeys as the cast of Monkey. Oh. Who would be who? Oh. Oh Yeah. Ooh. I'm going to set down a market now, David Jones, Tripitaka, because he gets to sit on a horse. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, He'd have yeah, bags yeah. it that. I don't know if he's the right one for
0: it. To mask his height, you mean?
1: No, because he, he used to be a jockey, didn't he? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. All the all the money he didn't blow on booze, he spent on horses.
1: But what about the others?
0: See, it's tricky, isn't it? Yeah. It is tricky. I mean, surely Monkey himself has got to be Mickey Delens, surely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, I'm, yeah. Th-
2: I'm thinking of, of Mike
0: Nesmith's Burns. <laughs> yeah but <laughs> yes. hmm, yeah I know what you mean uh, see the problem is who's going to be Pigs there it's got to be talk I'm afraid and it's got to be, it's gotta be yeah. talk oh yeah really because yeah. nobody else would really fit the bill would they mm. um, hmm what are the other characters Sunday Sandy. well there's only one left then isn't there yeah so that's got to be Nesmith I think Delens has got to be um, has got to be Monkey Mm. Yeah, natural frontman. (laughs) Yes, definitely.
1: (laughs) What about horse? Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I don't count horse, you see.
0: Yeah, yeah, not a major, not a main character, but... Horse was
1: very much the scrappy-do of Munker.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And to think we don't make it into those lists of the 100 best podcasts.
1: (laughs) God, we've gone off on severe tangents here, haven't we? <laughs> and we get
0: back. We can't get back. Although, just tangentially, I'm sorry to go back to uh, more Minder. No. Um, did you know Robin Williams stank? Did you know that? What? That he had re- Robin Williams stank. What? He yeah. just had really bad BO problems. It's by the by. It's not that important, but I just want to impart what, that information on. mind <laughs> I guess so I was listening to an interview of Sandra Bernard and she was talking about being on the Richard Pryor show and um, Robin Williams being involved and just it being notorious that he absolutely fucking honked I mean I like Robin Williams I just want to impart that information we are a, we are a fount of truth after all yeah. But yeah, Robin Williams Robin Williams very very pongy uh, yeah but, is it, but, was it
2: is that swarming
0: body hair holding
2: in the yeah.
1: odour yeah exactly oh, kind of uh, trapping uh, the musk yeah and being in <laughs> an egg all that time yeah, while going through help, space. That ain't gonna help, is it? No 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 no. I tell you what doesn't stink though, the beautiful new pop craze patrons <laughs> who have filed up and shoved a handful of dollar down our G string this month. Shall we shall we read their names out? Let's do that. Yeah. Fantastic segue, Al. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> In the five dollar section we have Dave Atkinson, Siobhan McClatchy margaret homunculus john stevens <laughs> chris wood martin riley tim o'connor simon west adrian ward paul barnard mal campbell calvin stewart chris durbin john thorpe tony Coffey, william johnson Tim Nyland-Jones, Shinty Bolger, and David of Flickston. Hey. Bless those people. And in the $3 section, we have Justin Walsh, William Wright, Adam Robinson, Justin Davies, Michael Campbell, Will Font, David Ellis, and Graham Bell. Thank you, babies.
0: Yeah, cheers, guys.
1: I think the last one, Graham Bell, he dropped me a message on Twitter today saying he thinks he's seen me with my cock out about 20 or so years ago (laughs) when I was a male stripper. He used to host club nights and stuff. Ah, uh, The the troupe I was with turned up and got it out for the ladies of the area. So uh, I can't remember if I was there or not. Uh, I think you would have remembered me. I was the the least developed male stripper in the the country. (coughs) Seriously, man, I hung like a fucking button mushroom. <laughs> That's sweet, though. Because I never tied off. Everyone else said tie off, and I refused to, man. My, I, I had an organic cock. Right, yeah. Tie off? Do <laughs> you not know about this, Neil? I'm a neophyte. I'm so innocent, man. What happens is, you kind of like, you go to the dressing room and mm. you procure a wank mag or, right. or
0: use your imagination. Oh, uh, well, I see. I can see where this is going,
1: actually. You get a bit of a lob on. <laughs> Mm. And um, sometimes you'd use one of them Dick pumps. <laughs> then you get a, a bit of leather strap and you tie off at the base of the cock to hold the blood in. I see. But the problem with that is, is you you can't really do encores, uh, <laughs> and you've got you've got to watch the time because you know if you leave it too long, mm. it's gonna be congealed
0: with blood and uh, oh it, god, yeah, and it's gonna drop off. Does it absolutely have to be a leather thing? Oh, I mean, wouldn't a hair bubble do the job?
1: Well, yeah, sometimes you use hair bubbles, but they're fucking hard to get off, man. Oh. I've, the, the amount of time I've seen my, my mail stripping colleagues just frantically looking for something anything to get mm. hair bobble or laggy band off <laughs> you know using nail scissors and stuff like that man oh it's, my god yeah <laughs> so i thought you know what I'll, i'm keeping well away from that nonsense
2: uh, it's either that or toothpaste
1: yeah yeah <laughs> toothpaste <laughs> i was familiar with but thanks our weekend
0: plans and all that
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um David Ellis, you jacked your donation right up, and I thank you, sir, for that. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Chucky Bab. And of course, one of the things the pop craze Patreons get to do is tinker and tanker and fiddle and faddle and generally piss about with the new chop music top 10. Shall we, chaps? Oh, Come yes. On. I'm all in. Hit the fucking music, white boy! We've said goodbye to concerned mother of Exeter, Wadi, -wadi, Jeff Sex, and here comes Jism. Oh my God. Which means two up, two down, one non-mover, four new entries, and a re-entry. In at number 10, it's a re-entry. But Taylor Pox has 20 romantic moments.
2: Uh, So so.
1: (laughs) A new entry straightened at number nine, Barry the Sexy Lion. (laughs) A one-place jump from number nine to number eight, C-Fax Data Blast. (laughs) Down two places from number five to number seven. Dog. Oh. A new entry at number six for Christopher Lilliput. Hey. Into the top five and it's straight in at five for Mario Kunt. <laughs> no change at number four for rock expert David Stubbs. <laughs> top three and last week's number one drops two places to number three, Jesus Christ! Straight in at number two, this week's highest new entry—a group who choose to call themselves Nolan Tentacle Porn, which means <laughs> they've finally made it to the top, up two places to this week's chart music number one: the bent cunts who aren't fucking real. Oh, yes.
0: what a yes. chart! Yes. It's a sexy and exciting chart for a new age.
1: <laughs> I'm choking on the magnificence of that chart, but fucking hell, here comes Jism. Jeff, tank's yeah. gone. I never, I never thought I'd God, see the day. End of a fucking end of an, era. End of an era.
0: A yeah,
2: changing of the guard. It is. Yeah. It is. I think this will give the the chart music top ten the kick up the arse mm. it needs. No yeah. shot in the eye.
0: <laughs> I wonder what Nolan Tentacle Porn sound like fuck knows it sounds a bit white house to me vapor wave yeah Mm. i want to make that band real and maybe i will i've got all summer just
1: a t-shirt band (laughs) on
0: that's it that's who they've reminded me of that name um it won't mean anything to anybody who didn't used to read melody maker but i'll just add these words 70 gwen party (laughs) do you remember 70 gwen party taylor fuck me yeah yeah
2: yeah 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 Yeah, you sent me a demo as well (laughs) It's like a little welcome to the paper. You get your 70 Gwen partner <laughs> demo and uh, covering letter.
0: Who the fuck are they? Oh, the dreadful kind of experimental act. Who just like, every they just used to incessantly bombard Melody Maker with tapes. It's just that everyone did end up with a copy. Um, Didn't quite know what to do with them Uh, because they're a bit rubbish. But anyway, moving on. Barry the Sexy Lion. What's, what's his shtick? Well, it's all in the name, isn't it? His name's Barry. He's fucking horny as fuck and he's a lion. Yeah.
1: (laughs) This is, this is from you, Neil. This is your description of the Bee Gees. Well, I do, they are
0: sexy lions. I do think of the Bee Gees as soon as I hear that. Yeah, but I think they'll have moved on by now. Mm. They'd be making, um, yeah, I don't know what kind of music would they be making now. It wouldn't be disco. It would be fucking sexy. It would be sexy as
1: fuck. I'm imagining lazy lion out of words and pictures, yeah. but in a thong. <laughs> and I was thinking about this the other day. Isn't that the most poignant, depressing moment in Threads? When they're all gathered together, all the survivors are gathered together in that school hall or whatever, and someone's managed to rig up a telly in a video, and the only thing they've got is words and pictures. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've remembered that now. Isn't that fucking tragic, though? Because you'd be sitting there going, oh, fucking hell, words and pictures. Yes, Lazy Lion. Fucking brilliant. And it's just a cat skeleton. And you just realise that Lazy Lion's just completely evaporated and will never return again. They might as well have just ended the thing there with everybody just slitting their wrists. (laughs) Because it doesn't pick up, does it? It doesn't jolly itself up, does it, from there on in? Not really, No,
0: no. Barry the Sexy Lion, by the way, could have been. You know Terry Hall, the ventriloquist Terry Hall, not the. Yes, yeah, yeah. he could have been. Yeah, his uh, Lenny the Lions, kind of. You know the the when he did his blue set later on. You know he'd whip back <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, Barry yeah. the Sexy Lion instead. <laughs> Do you think Terry Hall, the Specials, has ever once considered being a ventriloquist <laughs> just to fuck with people's heads?
0: Considering how many f- how many heads that would fuck with, literally, we could count them on all of our hands um it wouldn't be that many people (laughs)
1: people don't but it would hit home to those people who got it oh yeah yeah. christopher lilliput oh yeah i mean we've already said that the old sailor was a mini me for early 70s roger dolce so i contend that christopher lilliput will serve that role for the old sailor well (laughs) yeah it's
2: i mean it's a complex it's a russian doll right yes the, the outer shell of the Russian doll, the biggest yeah, one. Of,
1: of the chirpy human Cerberi.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, the, the outer layer is Mick Robertson of Magpie <laughs> and Free Time. And then mm-hmm. inside Mick Robertson is Kevin Keegan. Yes. Uh, and then you open Kevin Keegan and pull out Tommy Boyd. Um oh. And then inside Tommy Boyd, when you open it and pull it out, it's Roger Daltrey. And then you take off Roger Daltrey's head and then you pull out the old sailor. And then inside the old sailor is Christopher Lillycrap. And then inside Christopher Lillycrap is Wayne Sleep. And then finally inside Wayne Sleep is Russell Hitchcock, lead singer of Air Supply. Yes. Um, and instead of the babushka headscarf that you usually see on a Russian doll, they're all wearing a rugby shirt, tight pale <laughs> jeans and white <laughs> plimsolls. Oh, it's a lovely artefact. It's a beautiful addition to any uh, any Aventis <laughs> sideboard.
1: Oh, We need lockdown to continue for another year. We need to get craft projects going for the Popcrate youngsters, <laughs> don't you think? <laughs>
0: Are you thinking of that as merch? Mm. We need to get the Danbury Mint involved, I think
1: yes <laughs> definitely yeah mario Kunt is obviously the italian plastic bertrand he? <laughs> he's gone for an offensive name but he d- doesn't realize just how offensive it is in the uh, in the anglophone world i can imagine mario Kunt being very big on the mediterranean punk circuit with lost punk rockers Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd be a great double bill wouldn't it <laughs> and if you want to join all those pop craze youngsters in getting involved in rigging the charts and the Judy Zook tour jackets and all that shit, you know what to do. Hammer out patreon.com slash chart music on the nearest keyboard to you. Step up to that pay window, slap that money down, and shout, yes, chart music. You take this money, and you rub your podcasty groin all (laughs) over my trousers. Go on, do it. I dare (laughs) you. This episode Pop Craze youngsters takes us all the way back to July the 3rd 198 86. Now, chaps, the last time we covered the mid-80s, we we're a bit shocked, weren't we, that it won't as catch shit as we expected it to be. But mm. we've only done one 1986 episode so far, chart music number twenty-four, and all oh, Taylor, we weren't impressed, were we? It was fucking awful. Uh, which one was that? It was the television equivalent of staring into someone yanking open their unwiped arse <laughs> and waving it in our face. <laughs> but with Christopherberg Berg in the middle oh yeah yeah yes what, yeah, yes yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. this is a bit more of a mixed bag this one yes There's, there is plenty of good in this mm. but the 1986 does hang all over this episode this is yes. very much the late 80s is coming in mm. right? the the mm. it's like the, the mid what I think of as the mid 80s is 84 and 85 right By Mm -hmm. 86, we are sort of really into the late 80s with like the long, shiny coats and thatcher rampant, you know, and, and money, like not, not money in, in your pocket or mine, but sloshing around very visibly in pop music and, and elsewhere. Like this is already the era of aspirational adverts for cheese you know and things like this and and all that detached sexuality and and cocaine drift you know that sort of glazed expensive mess in people's physical Mm. appearance and their aesthetic judgment you know and their artistic output just scrambled and overstimulated and But it was almost enforced, you know, this is how we do things now. This is what the late 80s is. You do this Mm. or no other options are available. And... Yeah. Mm. So you, you watch this and there's a few sort of refugees from the early eighties still trying to do things the old way. And there's a few. Yes. Uh, it, but no, it all just becomes 1986. It just feels <sighs> like 1986. It's not pleasant.
0: No. And that, and that feeling is kind of spread all over all the artists who play on this episode. I think. I mean, yeah. 86 is a kind of, it's a definite changing of the guard in a sense, but it's a changing over to people you didn't really feel were going to occupy any kind of massive center of pop if you like um anymore like the the big bands who have their sort of first hits in 86 say the pet shop boys say erasure they don't feel like the kind of bands who kind of want to take pop by the scruff of their neck and boss it they seem a little geekier and a bit nerdier and you know any attempts from here on in to reintroduce a center if you like to british pop whether that's Curiosity the following year or, or even somebody like terrence Strand Darby, they all kind of, they, 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 they fail and they're seen mm. to fail. So it's yeah. as if this, this, this kind of second generation of eight is pop stars. It, it's not that they've got a lack of ambition necessarily, but it, it, yeah, a slight lack of ambition, a slight lack of ego to a certain extent. And they, at least they want to distance themselves a little bit from the kind of yuppie aspirationalism of the previous generation. But I don't think pop is going to let one band dominate ever again, in a way, uh, Mm. for a while towards the late eighties. It's a general feel of, yeah, as Taylor says, this kind of slickness, um, that, that kind of covers everything really. I mean, over in the States this year, of course, we have Prince proving that you can be a geek and a major star. And this is the year where Mm. Prince becomes immensely important to a lot of us. Um, a lot of us are in 86, as I think we've previously discussed, massively disenchanted with the present, massively absorbed in the past. So it was good to have Prince really, to feel a sense that, surely to God, something good is going on now, you know. But, yeah, it definitely feels late 80s. Mm. But at the same time, this episode and the fucking songs it throws our way, um, yeah, there's a lot to get into here in terms of those people who are still hanging on and those old pop habits that the British charts seemingly can't shake.
2: Yeah. Yeah. i tell you what, it's like what you were saying, that that we were all looking backwards at the time because we thought the present mm-hmm. day was so horrible. But Mm. when you look at it, there is a sort of shame and self-consciousness about the – or at least about a big part of the culture that even though there's this sort of uh, hubris and sort of uh, the the confidence of wealth, people kind of know deep down that this is (coughs) not a golden era culturally. (laughs) And it's it's really noticeable that starting from here for about the next – four years in white culture the only people considered cool and sexy are retro styled right there's um, yeah yeah Nick yeah came yeah. takes his jeans off in the laundrette and you know all those american actors like frowning and smoking you know even (laughs) Morrissey if you're into that sort of thing you know they all had quiffs Mm. and 50s trousers and they were visual throwbacks when you went into like a would-be trendy place like a calf or a hairdressers they didn't have pictures of 80s people on the walls with their Mm. shiny Mm. suit jacket sleeves rolled up and tumbling mullets it was all James Dean and Marilyn Monroe and Elvis and all the sullen yeah, indie yeah. bands wanted to look like the Velvet Underground in 1966 you know they didn't stand there scowling away in pleated slacks did they <laughs> <laughs> their gold waistcoat and that sense of forward movement from the early 80s is gone well like you even you had a group yeah. like uh, Orange Juice who's Music was 100% derived from the record collection. But they, did, they didn't skulk about in leather trousers. The whole point was they were meant to be fresh and modern and new, you know. Mm, the middle mm, of the yeah. 80s is where that switchover happened, where if you wanted mm. to be cool, you had to look backwards because there was no longer anything sexy and, and and positive about being of the moment. And that only changed when it met the warm front blowing in from mostly american black culture uh, yeah which yeah, is yeah. hyper modern and technological and dressed brightly in modern clothes you know like mm, hip-hop yeah. and then after that chicago house as well mm-hmm. and that's what yeah. blew away a lot of what we see in this episode it made the early 90s sort of looser uh and brighter and more natural even when it was still shit <laughs> at least it wasn't like this
1: yeah yeah
0: it is in this hinterland at the moment, uh, in 86, anyway. Where it's, yeah, um, mainstream U- UK pop, certainly, it's not listening to hip-hop. And it's not really listening to Jam and Lewis. Think of, you know, Control's coming out this year. The, no things are moving on. But it takes several years, like Taylor says, till the late 80s, early 90s, um, for those kind of things to percolate through. And, and this, this mean time is a mean time. It, it's got some <laughs> grim shit in it. So,
1: 1986. John.
2: <laughs> Hello, I'm Tom, and I make a podcast where I log into celebrities' Amazon accounts.
1: It's called... What a brilliant idea for a pod. There's no original pods out there anymore, but this genuinely is... Oh, thanks, Ben Bailey-Smith. Anyway, it's called... This is good, isn't it? It's clever, this podcast. You should do more. Thanks, Kerry Godleyman. It's called... This is such a great idea, by the way. What a great podcast.
2: Shappi Korsandi, you're too kind. The podcast is but It's called- biographical. Oh. You can get all sorts of information out of people. This is a very good idea. Thank you, Nick Helm. It's called My Mate Bought a Toaster. I'm going to listen to this podcast. Thanks, Alex Horn.
0: Can you tell your friends?
1: Radio One News. In the news this week, the Peacock Report, commissioned by Margaret Thatcher in an attempt to get the BBC to scrap the licence fee and run adverts instead, refuses to recommend that. Instead, it suggests that Radio 1 and 2 be privatised, the licence fee should be scrapped for the oldens, censorship should be phased out, and ITV franchises should be sold off to the highest bidders. The whopping print dispute enters its 23rd week with the leader of the electricians' union going to America to meet with Rupert Murdoch. The Statue of Liberty is reopened after a full-year refurbishment two days after the World Cup ends Gary Lineker becomes the most expensive British footballer ever when he's transferred from Everton to Barcelona for 2.75 million but a day later Ian Rush tops that when Juventus agreed to pay Liverpool 3.2 million for Ian Rush 3.2 whole million pounds for a footballer the fucking world's gone mad (laughs) what do you get for that now you get get his toe wouldn't you His mustache. Sade <laughs> has called in the police after being bombarded with death threats from a crazed West German fan who sends us seven letters a day, plus photos of himself and some money. And some money? Photos of himself and some money. Yeah. He's a smooth operator. (laughs) Sue Barker reveals that her and Cliff Richard never spent the night in the same room, never mind done it, during their relationship. And now that it's all over and she's with someone else, she can exclusively reveal that she doesn't like Cliff's music. (laughs) (laughs) Pull the other
0: one, Sue. It's got fucking bells on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ian Botham lands himself in the shit for making an after dinner speech in Manchester where he called England test selectors gin slinging dodderers who are quote brought out of an attic then they take the dust sheet off and give them a pink gin then they moan about him doing weed while they sling their 17th bottle of gin down their neck then they go onto the roads and kill 400 kids on the way home. Yeah. What bit much
2: so unfortunate that both of them turned out to also be a prick, yes, because <laughs> <laughs> he was such an inspirational figure for about two years.
1: but the big news this week is the headline on the front page of today's sun, Junkie George has eight weeks to live. <sighs> It's also the front page story in the mirror, which reads, The full tragedy of pop superstar boy George can be revealed today by the Daily Mirror. He is a heroin junkie, and his health is failing rapidly as he feeds his punishing hundreds of pounds a week drug habit. Unless he stops now, he will certainly kill himself. Surely, chaps, you remember that? Oh, very much Just so.
0: killing uh,
2: bold capitals, then. hmm
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love the phrase
2: heroin junkie. It's you yeah, like yeah. know, people get described as an adrenaline junkie or, a, you know, it's like, no, he's a heroin junkie. That's very much the original junkie. Yes,
0: yeah, already salted of junkie dump. <laughs>
1: I mean we hadn't had a pop star drug overdose death for ages if you if you discount Phil Lineup because he died of mm. septicemia due to his drug habits. Yeah. I mean the last major one was Sid Vicious seven years ago. So you do get the feelings that the papers are rubbing their cakey little hands in glee.
0: Yeah, plus heroin had kind of increased in public consciousness, in, in you know, it, and yeah. it had basically become an equivalent threat to nuclear war um, yes. and AIDS. It was kind of yes. piled in with all of that. So yeah, I distinctly remember this, massively.
1: It was always weird being at school, talking about drug overdoses and stuff like that, because you just assumed that there was a big mountain of coke or whatever and they just fell onto it and died <laughs> remember when i was about 11 or 12 we were talking in the playground about jimmy hendrix mm. and um you know he he took drugs and he choked on his own vomit but the lad who told me this said no they found him in a bath and he drowned in vomit <laughs> <laughs> and for years and years and years i just have this image in my head of, of particularly when i was eating my tea of Jimi mm. Hendrix in a bath that was absolutely full to the brim with vomit. And he's doing his <laughs> Jimi Hendrix face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, I, I
0: mean, I recall when the Boy George story broke, there was a sense of glee from the tabloids that finally they'd nailed him in a sense. You know, finally they'd got him on something. Mm. I don't remember it being that shocking, though. It was just, it, even then you could detect a faint... Tone of hyperbole and hysteria about something that, you know, probably should have just remained a private matter.
2: Yeah. Uh, You're right about that. Um, heroin as self administered nuclear war. Mm. It really was. But I was at school at the time, obviously, and I was always reading about how school playgrounds were full of heroin pushes, Mm, school pushes, right? Mm. And it's like, I was sort of faintly disappointed that <laughs> nobody ever offered me heroin because I wanted to be able to go, ha, no. <laughs> <laughs> but when we moved down south, right, I'd heard that places like Milton Keynes were full of drugs. Right. Because, right, right. which they were, like, there was loads of people
1: on smack and stuff. Oh, they used to chase dreams, now they chase the dragon. They did indeed.
2: <laughs> and so I remember thinking. <laughs> The first time I go to Milton Keynes, what would I do if I found some drugs on the floor? <laughs> would I would I pick them up and take them away and take them on my own? And I thought, well, it depends what the drugs were. And I had this fantasy yeah, of finding. Know? Well, I knew what they looked like. I was into like the Beatles and stuff, and mm. so I, I wanted to take acid at the time, mm-hmm. right? And I, <laughs> I was about fourteen, but I remember thinking. If I found an acid tab lying on the floor, yeah. I would pick it up and take it. it's if like you're gonna to go to Milton Keynes and the first thing you're gonna see is a little like superman on White a cradle. on a square of blotting paper lying on the ground, oh I'll have that. Yeah. And and I so for years I was like, oh what an idiot I was. And then in about nineteen ninety one. Uh, A mate of mine was walking down the street, not in Milton Keynes, but not far away, and picked up a little, like a little wallet thing that he found on the ground, opened it up, there was two acid tabs in it, wrapped in in, uh, cellophane. Yeah, absolutely. And? He (laughs) took them, didn't he?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Didn't he give one to you? No, I wasn't there. Bastard. Could have saved it. (laughs) Yeah, well, I, put know, it in the I, fridge or whatever you do with it. I don't know. No, I, I, I had my fill in due course. I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> I've got to say though, all that anti-drug messaging of the eighties—it really didn't have that much of an effect on me. And and and, no. you know, to the point where I'm—I'm I'm not making light of addiction, but I'm penciling heroin in for my retirement. I don't know about you guys, but um, yeah. I, I'm thinking, yeah. Well, you know, beat's falling asleep in a bus stop. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm pencilling it in for then, so no, it didn't really work. You're going to nod off anyway. This is it. Why not be blissful?
1: Heroin or a, a repeat of fucking heartbeat. Uh, or sonatogen. Mm. Yeah. It's got to be heroin all the way, hasn't it? It's a classy
0: option. <laughs> but that's the thing. In 86, of course, contemporary messaging is all about, yeah, the drugs are all awful. But, of course, if you're looking back to the 60s that's all telling you that drugs
1: are fucking ace get mm. into them as soon as you possibly can but but yeah i mean this news about boy george and the very recent splitting up of one of the monoliths of the era, it gives off the feeling that we have reached the end of the proper 80s, haven't we? Oh, yeah. You could say this week is that end point for the 80s that everybody thinks about when they talk about the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. No no more. There's
0: never going to be a Duran again. There's never going to be a Wham again. There's never going to be anyone that dominant.
1: Duran Duran and Spandau Bally is still about, but not in the sense that we knew and liked them. They're fighting for themselves now. They are.
0: They're appealing purely to their own already developed fan base. They're not getting any new fans by that stage.
2: But also, never anyone with ideas... Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, at the time, Duran Duran and, and Spada Ballet were seen as, and Culture Club, were seen as like, they're just the the new bland, you know, like these pop acts that had nothing and said mm. nothing and, mm. and offered nothing. Mm. But when you look at it, I mean, Duran Duran were trying to be arty and mm. clever. Right? Yeah, yeah, Spada Ballet started off with all those ideas about, doing things differently to other groups. You know, culture club had a sort of agenda based around, you know, gender. And after that, there genuinely was nothing. You compare mm. that to, to what came really soon after this. Like I love aha, but there's no, there's nothing to Aha except the nice songs and the nice faces. Do mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was less than that to, to new kids on the block, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, that, that, stuff that falls on either side of that mid 80s dividing line you it one is the last knockings of something and on the other side of that line is the first rays of a of a sour new dawn um mm. and because it seemed like a gradual uh transition at the time i don't think people noticed it quite as clearly as when you look back it's it's just it's blatant Mm-hmm
0: Yeah, there's a sense towards the late '80s where that 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 idea of ideas and that sense of agency, if you like, is taken out of bands' hands, and it's going to increasingly be in the hands of the producers rather than the kind of the the bands themselves. So what we'll increasingly see as the '80s go on is, yeah, you can hear producers coming through these records. You don't really get any strong personas or anything like that.
1: And those bands, those major bands we were talking about earlier, you know, they had been going for at least five years, or 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 at least been a chart presence. Mm. For the past five years. And that was a
0: fucking long time. Yeah, and a lot of them were just fucking knackered. Mm. With the whole lot, with the whole notion of being a pop star. Which started yeah. to look less and less fun as the 80s went on. Yeah, and
2: also had reached that Coke limit. You know, there's a, yeah, there's yeah. a Coke limit. Where, <laughs> like, for a while, Coke just makes you do what you do, but, you know, with more enthusiasm. Then you reach a point where it's like, hmm, this stimulant appears to be de-stimulating something <laughs> rotten and then you get you know they disappear for 4 years
1: on the cover of the enemy this week the jesus and mary chain on the cover of smash hits robin and ali campbell of jaw waddy yeah, the Jesus. number one LP in the UK at the moment is Invisible Touch by Genesis. And over in America, the number one single is On My Own by Patti LaBelle and Michael McDonald. And the number one LP, Whitney Houston by Whitney Houston. So, boys, what were we doing in July of 1986? Um, It was all happening
0: for me. I mean, mm. my balls had dropped. Um, <laughs> I was shaving finally, yeah very pubescent time but I think the most important thing that happened to me that year was that my library ticket finally enabled me to get records out um, which I couldn't do previous to that age and of course that just changed everything, absolutely everything, it, it's not the internet before it's time but some blessed lunatic behind the counter at Cov Central Library, seemed to get in all the records that were featured in the Music Press that, that week so I could check them out, but Ooh. also just 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 left me with so many avenues of exploration. I mean, looking back, it seems an astonishing act of largesse. I can barely believe that it's real, that a library ticket could gain you access to all of this stuff. So, mentioned before that I was disappearing into the past, I'm very much using the library for that, I'm very much using Paul Gambaccini's 100 Greatest Albums Ever book also as a kind of guide for that as well which was a kind of aggregated sort of critics list basically but that that Mm. was 10 million launch pads in one book in a sense and you know I I had my circuit down if you like my teenage circuit you know the library um uh, poster place for badges and stuff like that um and then of course into shop the future of shop yes so yeah, going to winter shop, getting drunk at the weekend, exploring the past in a big, big way. But it's the start of, in a sense, what my life is now. Really, I, I, before then, it's it feels like childish concerns in a sense. But mm. from this point on, from being thirteen onwards, yeah, just diving and losing myself in old music via the miracle that is the library. That's that's my major memory of this year.
1: Libraries gave you power,
0: without a doubt. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking um what's been lost there. Um mm. but the but just it, it's not even an act of generosity. It just staggers me that, you know, I could read about um I don't know, some Cecil Taylor album or some you know, just quite obscure shit. Walk into Cov Central Library and get it out and take it home, listen to it, tape it, obviously and, and yeah, that sustained my interest in music um to a huge degree.
1: Neil, do you think if you were thirteen years old now you'd be investigating music? as as hardcore as you did then yeah absolutely and um, the
0: reason i know that is because i've got evidence i've got a daughter and she's 15 Mm. now granted she's not going to library but i'm not going to balk at the fact that she you know isn't investigating discographies properly she's Mm. enabled to investigate all kinds of insanely obscure shit um you know she she dragged me into the living room the other day daddy seen this band before and it was a clip from beat club it was can people <laughs> you know, oh, yes, well and plain. she's off on her own. You know, I'm on Duel and all and of this. She stuff. just chanced on that. Well, she was watching beat club clips anyway, because yeah. of I think she was watching Sabbath or something. Um, because there's a great. Sabbath, early Sabbath clipper. And, and, you know, once you're on YouTube and you just follow trails and stuff, she then got into Curve there mm. and then it was Can and it was all this beat club stuff. So yeah, the, you know, the, the, this idea that I think we have now, because the music press has kind of disappeared to a certain extent. Yes, they're specialist titles, but they're mainly selling to old folk who know all this stuff already. We get this idea that old kids aren't investigating old music. Yes, they fucking are. They might not be able to name you an album, you know, but they, they, they know that and then they investigate this stuff and they're completely open-eared and open-eyed to it it's easy to get depressed about how libraries have gone you know to a certain extent and and, and kids certainly aren't going to use a library maybe to amplify their musical knowledge but you know they've got it in the palm of their hand now I, i'm not belly aching about it I, I i'm just amazed that f- literally for several years of my life the library fucking you know it starts becoming your real education doesn't it you go to school mm. um but the library teaches you so so much and of course you know digging into books about music because I was so obsessed with it of course starts getting me interested in music and writing as well so in a way I start here sort of 85 86 time where the library becomes just a second home really um I, I should stress I did have friends but, um, but, you know but 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 on your own reconnaissance this is just thrilling and and, and also you know beyond libraries bookshops become massively important because bookshops you can, you can stand in them and read books without buying them. And, and, and that's my trip around town. And, and it's just building and feeding this voracious kind of hunger for all this old stuff. Basically, cause you listen to the radio, you listen to the charts and you're just thinking, none of this is floating my boat really apart from the odd thing. Yeah. So inevitably you start diving into the past. And of course, every great album you hear suggests another 10 albums that you should potentially investigate. Of course, that can send you down dead ends. Because, you know, I remember in 86, uh, you know, I don't know, listening to a fucking 10 years after album or something, maybe you've gone too far down this road, you know, and pulling back and realising, yeah, this is it. You know, stop at free, stop at Set.
2: Get with Blue Oyster Cult.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, this is the miraculous thing about the library. You could get six records out, you could keep them for a week. I mean, it was just astonishing. Yeah, although I've got some hope for the future if
2: YouTube algorithms really are pushing people towards clips of can or yeah. club. I, you know? Because yeah. I put YouTube on this morning, and the first three videos that it was offering me were titled uh, "Lunatic Republican Arrested After Kicking Student in the Balls,"
1: <laughs>
2: "Scammer Rages After I Destroy Two Thousand Dollar Gift Cards," and "Tribal People." Try Kinder Bueno. <laughs> I, I remember thinking, what am I doing
0: with my life? I clearly really? need to get my daughter on these. But no, I mean, it can send you down these weird tracks. I mean, she, she also had a similar... I, I, she was asking about ZZ Top the other day. And I said, oh, you should watch Old Grey Whistle Test, um, them doing cheap sunglasses, because it's a great clip. And, and she um, watched it. And because, you know, OGWT is part of that search, then she's sent onwards to all kinds of crazy shit. So now one of her yeah. favourite songs is, you know, Alex Harvey Band. So it, it, mm. it does just send you in weird places. The library is gone uh, as a kind of institution where where kids do this kind of pursuing, but I, I don't think we should be downhearted and think that these kind of pursuits and, you know, reconnaissance aren't happening. They absolutely are. Maybe on a single song rather than an album basis, but there's nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, it's still happening. You should,
2: you should say to her, you see that drummer, the only one without a beard... <laughs>
0: well guess what (laughs) she knew that shit she knows Uh, does she listen to modern stuff though she will listen to a modern band Mm. but only if they basically sound like black sabbath right she loves the odd little bit of swedish doom metal but she's very much locked in the past locked in the 70s and the 80s and she's Mm. not alone in that regard you know a lot of kids feel that way Mm. and they're doing exactly in, in a weird way exactly what i was doing in 86 when what is contemporary and when you're a kid it repulses you it's not just that you don't like it it Mm. repulses you you don't want to be part of what is contemporary you are you are sent back like that and and plenty of kids are in exactly the same you know place Mm. taylor well my main memory of
2: 1986 was experiencing my first serious adolescent crush Right. Oh, sweet salad days <laughs> i still remember it like it was yesterday she was a redhead uh, uh, n- no hair <laughs> n- no body just just a redhead. so <laughs> <laughs> well, i've met her in the canal all uh, oh, the times we had no in fact she was a girl in my year at school and i didn't know anything about except that somehow I fancied it. And as I think I mentioned in a previous podcast, she looked eerily, uncannily like Sandra Bernard in King of Comedy, which is not at all what I expected my first big crush to be like. But
1: Mm -hmm. You don't get a choice in the matter, Taylor. Yeah, because the other
2: person is almost irrelevant, right? Your first (laughs) big crush is your psyche and your endocrine system powering up. Uh, for adulthood, and nothing yeah. to do with the qualities or the character of, of the hapless recipient of, of your affections, who yeah. you may as well be a crash test dummy. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like just, they're just a they're just a blank white wall on which all your own obsessions and fantasies and preoccupations are projected. God help him, which is why these things so rarely work out. Uh, but I was a terribly secretive and emotionally introverted kid. Mm. Despite being a, a, a noisy piss taker, mm. I was sort of emotionally hopeless and not properly socialized because girls thought I was a weirdo. Mm. So I kept it to myself for a whole year I didn't even admit to my friends for six months that I'd become obsessed with this girl and it had become an obsession with all these weird sort of romantic or 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 hopelessly unworldly ideas despite (laughs) the fact that we'd never spoken and there was not the vaguest hint of chemistry between us and you know no sort of eyes caught across the room or any of this stuff but I was not cynical at this point, right? I was Mm. what you might call Mm. pre-cynical, as as innocent as a rolferoo. And uh, so I waited a year full of frustration and longing. Mm. And finally, in the last week of the summer term, I plucked up courage and mentioned it to a girl on your mutual friend because there was a big house party coming up the weekend after school finished Mm. so we all went to this party and at some point i was sat in the garden wondering what to do and whether anyone had mentioned anything to this girl because i didn't have the guts to Uh. go and say anything to her and eventually this girl's french pen friend who was staying with her came over to where i was sitting and she said quite grandly uh, i have got a message for you from name redacted and i thought okay here we go the moment of truth And she went on. She said, uh, she says, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm glad. And I'm glad because this taught me several things. One of them false, but the other's true. But the terrible postscript to this story, right, is within a year or so, like in the sixth form, me and this girl became quite matey because Mm -hmm. people developed quite quickly around that age and we'd laugh about the unfortunate events you know (laughs) and um, it was all very good natured and then one night a couple of years later there was another party in a different house and I was sat around talking to her and she suggested going into one of the empty bedrooms to continue the chat because it was very noisy in this we couldn't really probably someone pumping out the fucking first stone roses album for the fourth time (laughs) and and so yeah we went into this empty room and sat down on someone's sister's bed and i carried on talking about whatever bollocks we'd been talking about uh and i remember to this day watching our face slowly change as we sat there and just went on talking you know like drumming her fingers (laughs) glancing all around the empty room right and i thought to myself i wonder i wonder if there's just a fragment of of a millionth of a chance Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. if i just yeah yeah no 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 come on be realistic (laughs) so until eventually with slightly raised ginger eyebrows she said well okay i'm going to get another drink oh. and left the room and i watched her leave and i thought phew at least i didn't make a fool of myself." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and i thought nothing more of it until a while later some some chuckling friends were delighted to to pass on news of of the head-shaking incredulity with which this story had been relayed back to her oh, friends I'll by her. That. There was a bit of cackling and a bit of finger-pointing from, you know, the more laddish element of our friendship group. But the worst thing of all is that I learned nothing <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> from that experience, except that women should be more assertive. Mm. And what the fuck was I going to do about that?
0: Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah confidence doesn't it that's what it's yeah. all about no wonder you identify with charlie brown so much
1: yeah was she little this red-headed girl little headed girl yeah
0: yeah i know
1: then yeah. you went off to kick an american football
2: <laughs> yeah then some comp moved it at the last minute no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible how
0: what puberty does it changes kind of because i remember junior school kind of you know primary school i i could talk to girls fine And it was just normal at prime, but then something sets in when you're about 13, 14. It's not just tongue tiedness. It's just, it's this paralysis. Um, and it's all hormonally related, I guess. But yeah, if you could go about relationships with, with girls with the same ease that you could at junior school, where you're just laughing about poop and stuff, um, things would be, things would be a damn sight easier in puberty, but they're not. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm just about getting over the hangover of the 1986 World Cup, (laughs) which I fucking loved because it Mm. was the World Cup. Mm. You know, just spent the whole month on the settee. Yeah. Just enjoying everything. Even England losing to Argentina. Yeah. Possibly even especially England losing to Argentina. I don't know. There there was a lot to enjoy in that game. Oh, Mm. God, yeah.
0: Even at a young age, I enjoyed that.
1: I mean, I'd finally, finally finished sixth form. And I got a place in the college I wanted to do my A-level. So I was massively looking forward to it. But, you know, enjoying the the brief repose before throwing myself into it. Just dossing and knowing I I didn't have to get a job, basically. Which is great. Music-wise, as I always was right through the mid 80s and onwards i'm just rinsing the second hand record shops in town mm. hitting up record fares but anything to do with james brown or sly and the family stone I- i'm motan i'm having it so yeah i'm totally up here spending far less money on that kind of stuff than i would on the modern stuff and i not missing it at all yeah. oh god yeah when you, I mean, because
0: because mm. at this age for me, like thirteen, fourteen, record shops become massively, massively important as kind of sanctuaries and and, and all the rest of it. And you start lingering in them, you know, far longer than you need to make a purchase, in a sense. And and also, it's not just record shops like HMV that have really fond memories for me at this time. It's odd little shops, sort of hinterland shops like Exchange and Mart, become massively important where you know all the secondhand vinyl yeah. is. And of course, you can turn around and pick up a crossbow or a catapult if you need it as well. Yes. So, so, you know, um, Exchange Your Marks, such a bizarre shot. Weaponry on one side, secondhand stuff on the other.
1: I'm still watching Top of the Pops, but... I'm not expecting to be nourished or surprised by it anymore. No, you, you know, d- it's, it's, it, I might as well be watching repeats of wacky races and thinking, "Oh, fucking hell why was I ever taken in by this bollocks?" Dig dastardly never wins. Yeah, well, it's
2: it's four years of doing this podcast. Oh, you mean in 1986? Okay, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I was training myself to be a critic or anything, but I think you know, you do still what I, I was still watching South of Pots in '86, but mainly as a, as a chance to sneer. You know, like, mainly as a chance <laughs> yeah, to deride.
1: Like, Who the fuck's bought this? Oh
0: god, yeah, I was such an insufferable cunt. But looking at this episode, I think I was I was on the right <laughs> right
1: lines to you know. Mm-hmm.
0: But you still watch it as a masochistic thing, partly masochistic, partly pleasurable um mm. not thinking oh this will sharpen up my critical acumen but it's nice slagging off contemporary pop it's nice slagging off yes. contemporary if it and, it and i reassert it repulsed me this stuff it wasn't just that you know i wanted to distance myself from it so so putting yourself at the cold face of it every thursday was still a duty and of course mm. as we'll see later there was still the other little thing the other little tiny flash that actually did you know give you pleasure
1: So, dear boys, round about this time, we do what we always do, which is dig into the crates and pull out an example of the music press from this very week in question. And this time, I've gone for Melody Maker, July the 5th, 1986. Shall we dig? Oh, yeah, let's. On the cover, the House Martins. In the news. John Lydon has threatened to go to court to take out an injunction on the forthcoming film Sid and Nancy in an attempt to block its release. According to a spokesperson, quote, John went to see the film a while ago and he wasn't impressed. He doesn't think people should make films about other people who are still alive and he found it a bit offensive. There was a possibility we were going to prevent them using the Sex Pistols music, but the film's not worth the effort, basically. We don't think it's going to do very well, and by suing them, we'd probably draw more attention to it than it'll get anyway. Hmm. I wonder what he thinks about that new one. Oh, fuck <laughs> me. Those production stills. With those twats giving the fucking finger. Those cunts. Yeah. you just goes
0: to show you can't fake malnutrition. And bad skin. <laughs> yeah. It's like
2: doing a biopic of Sid James, where he flips the bird, you know. Yeah.
1: I wonder if they do a bit where they call Bill Grundy a freaking ass munch. (laughs) 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 Meanwhile, the soundtrack LP of the film, called Love Kills, has been announced and will feature Joe Strummer, the Pogues, Steve Jones john cale circle jerks and a cover of i want to be your dog by gary oldman uh, it was, a,
2: that's a horrible horrible film said nancy mm. and a horrible idea for a film trying to construct like modern myths and legends around real people especially people who were deeply flawed you know and never grew up or never had the chance to grow up it's a sign of a very unhealthy culture.
0: Mm.
1: The dispute over music videos between the British phonographic industry and UK TV stations, which started six weeks ago when the BPI banned the use of videos on ITV because the regional stations refused to pay the record industry to broadcast them, rumbles on, with Time Tees becoming the first on the network to cave in and cut a deal, just in time for their five-hour EuroTube 86 special (laughs) due to be broadcast on channel 4 in two days time meanwhile channel 4 who have taken their own music program chart show off the air continue to dig their heels in while yorkshire tv who have held up plans for their forthcoming late night cable pop service music box announced that they're in talks with the bpi the BBC and Top of the Pops remain unaffected as they've already cut a deal with the BPI earlier this year worth £150,000 per annum for the right to broadcast music vids. Isn't that a thing? Yeah. Top of the Pops there being a bit arsey about videos a few years ago. Now they want them. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit
0: of a Super League type situation. Uh, what what mm. shit names for TV shows though? Music box. Yes. Fuck me. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Channel 4 chart show, that's nothing to do with the chart show that used to be. I'm sure it used to be on ITV. the chart show later. No, it's the same program they moved it. I see. Yeah. I see.
2: It's weird, though, isn't it, when you think about it? Isn't this a bit like if the advertising industry pulled all adverts from the network because ITV wouldn't pay to broadcast them. (laughs) You want to show 90 seconds of this Cactus World News video? Well, you better put the money on the table. So it's a company desperately struggling to drum up any interest in Cactus World News.
1: At the same time, Equity were pitching the roar in, saying that these pop videos, they have um, non-Equity members in them playing instruments and stuff okay, no. and you know they they get their mates in to the videos yeah. for fuck's sake and, that, and that's wrong you need some you know proper professional actors for that shit
2: <laughs> what are all those indie bands gonna do if they can't do a video <laughs> where it's just the best looking girl that any of them know in in 60s clothes walking around yeah on the field? Yes. yeah yeah <laughs>
1: Speaking of pop TV, Granada have announced Rock Around the Dock, an ITV music special from Liverpool's Albert Dock featuring Frankie Goes to Hollywood, The Style Council, The Pretenders, Five Star, Status Quo. DC Lee, Ruby Turner and the Damned performing Eloise with the Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra. (laughs) All of which will be performing on a specially built floating dock and hosted by Gary Davis. Gear. Fucking glad I've got no memories of that. The Reading Festival announces its return after a three-year absence on a new site next to the original one. No headliners have been fully confirmed as yet, although rumours abound that Hawkwind and Doctor and the Medics are likely to appear. (laughs) And they do. Along with Killing Joke, The Mission, It Bites, Zodiac Mind Warp and The Love Reaction, Lords of the New Church, New Model Army, and all that lot.
2: I'll tell you what, I would have loved to have had a stall there selling snake bite and hairspray.
1: (laughs) You you could have gone home and
2: bought up most of central London and sat back
1: (laughs) Run DMC have finally sorted out a UK distribution deal with London Records and will be releasing their latest LP Raising Hell over here next week fucking yes (laughs) and the hip hop crazed youngsters are invited to crash through walls cut through floors bust through ceilings and knock down doors of their local record emporium tomorrow for the double A side my adidas peter piper oh it's all <laughs> gonna change for the better everyone
2: and yeah, the cavalry's coming
1: yeah yeah yes. exactly
2: you just have to strain to hear them at this
1: point. <laughs> and bob geldoff currently recording a solo lp in los angeles has denied reports in the uk press that he'll be standing as a candidate for the sdp <laughs> in the next general election <laughs> <laughs> fucking
2: milk thief
1: <laughs> inside the paper well helen fitzgerald drops in on gene loves jezebel <laughs> of course he does
2: it's the melody maker in 1986
1: who have just signed a us deal with geffen records and are beginning to become more popular in america than the cult but are still unable to break out of the independent chart ghetto over here and don't seem to be that bothered about it touring elsewhere made us realize how insignificant england is in many ways and how parochial the music business is here says mike aston the third lp discover comes out soon i know fuck all about gene loves jezebel and i don't feel deprived by that (laughs) no but i was absolutely over the fucking moon to find out that one of them's called jay aston why aren't melody maker making more of that Why aren't they asking him, why have you left Bucks Fairs?
0: Yeah. <laughs> what was that coach crash like? Well, like you said, David's not yet joined the maker, has he? I'm sure he would have... Uh he would have asked that but there is that sense during that period that the the, the music press you know s- supposedly there to boost the alternative and independent they're struggling for figureheads themselves so for the next four mm-hmm. years they're in a kind of holding pattern of things like Gene Loves Jezebel Fields of the Nephilim Sisters of Mercy The Mission mm. all being sort of yeah. you know posited as kind of cover stars and none of them ever achieve that kind of centrality to pop or centrality to indie music that they're looking for but much like mainstream there's no figureheads anymore there's no big ones the Smiths are kind of I'm guessing at this point point i'm not saying on the way out but are they sort of tailing off are they stopping are they making less i don't know and they sort of peaked um, yeah in the yeah. summer
2: of 86 i think but melody maker at this time was a a very weird and directionless paper um it really was just blokes with mullets in leather jackets standing around watching goth bands with a pint of lager in one hand it was that was just how it felt when you were reading it yeah you know they used to do like the Patsy Kensit corner
1: because yes. Patsy
2: Kensit was just like a music biz socialite, and they'd always have a picture of her with like a, like an upskirt or something, and they'd put oh. it in going, "Whoa, it's Patsy Kensit every week." Oh, um,
1: was weird. Yeah, it was weird, weird. <laughs> when David Van Day set up David Van Day's Box Fairs and got Mike Nolan then. Why didn't he get Jay Astin out Gene Loves <laughs> Jezebel in as well, man? <laughs> he was probably unaware, right wasn't he? It? It's a shame. It's been a huge weekend for Enormo concerts, and Ted Miko and Barry McElherney are given a double page to wang on about the Artists Against Apartheid do on Clap and Common last Saturday, featuring the Style Council, Gil Scott Heron, Billy Bragg, Gary Kemp performing an acoustic version of Through the Barricades, oh. Boy George wearing a coat with Fuck me stupid and suck my knob written on it maxi priest sade sting hugh massacala elvis costello peter gabriel princess and big audio dynamite they reckon it was dead good while noting that all pop stars can do is keep apartheid in the public eye until the general public demands change can i just throw in there boy george spelt knob without the k well done sir (laughs) i can't stand it when people say knob with a k when they're not referring to the thing on the on a door is that OED official? Um, you know, owl. That
0: if you're referring to a penis, there's no K at the beginning.
1: I don't need to look at it. I know <laughs> Okay, Okay. Alan Sillitoe spelt knob N O B. So that's how I spell it. That's right. Yeah, that is
0: how I remember spelling it as well. When referring to mm. genitals, yeah. Yeah,
2: because in the early eighties, that was the uh, that was the official spelling of bachelor boys, the young ones book. That was our knob was oh, yeah, yeah. throughout. Yeah. yeah used yeah, yeah. quite a few times in that
1: book. Yeah,
2: yeah, uh, yeah. So I think everyone took their cues from
1: that. And the other thing that used to piss me off at the time people spelling Pratt with two T's. Yes. Mm. Mm. Oh,
0: but Christ, sorry, just out of that thing you read out for that gig Gary Kemp performing an acoustic version of Through the Barricades. Fucking The Ill.
1: debut performance introduced to the world.
2: <laughs> I just imagine while that gig was going on. Uh, little Stephen sat at home with his arms folded.
1: <laughs> On the next page, Steve Sutherland goes to Wembley to see Wham's final gig and is distinctly unimpressed. Oh yeah. Who were this wham anyway? What have they actually done to deserve such devotion? Oh, fucking hell. Andrew Ridgely's lush. (laughs) You knob with no K. (laughs) Could it be that of all the things Live Aid achieved, its most potent and abiding impact is a public expectation for annual events to partake in? Nothing was happening here but the illusion of happening. The mirage of change. Something to scream at. Something to savour. How very very sad! Fuck yeah! Unlike
2: Steve Sutherland to be a troll for no particular reason. (laughs) I mean, if you're gonna slag off Wham, then okay, that's not impossible. Mm. But you need either an interesting argument or a few good jokes. You know, you Mm. can't just say some girls screamed and it wasn't like Live Aid. You know, like, he was always a weird one like yeah. Steve Sutherland cause Like, unlike his namesake <laughs> he was a proper music journalist and a proper music fan but he used to come out with so much bilge almost like he felt he had to up the ante all the time do you know what I mean yeah. but he wasn't quite mm. sure how I remember he mm. used to write all the all those Melody Maker hype covers in the early, just before I joined you'd get the Melody Maker and every week there was like a quite new band on the front um with a this gushing cover feature by Steve Sutherland about how they were the most incredible thing you've ever heard, you know. And mm, they, they mm. never were. And I know that's what music papers do, but there was something about the way Sutherland used to do it that used to get my back up. I mean he wrote this the Suede cover. You know the the Suede, Best New Band in Britain when they hadn't put a record ever, yeah, or something like that. He wrote that. Uh and <laughs> That feature contains the possibly the single most embarrassing sentence in the history of music journalism which I've <laughs> memorised by heart, Ooh. which is their sexuality is quite dark. Brett <laughs> pouts a lot and spanks his own bottom on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Look out. I mean, you know, like 15 to 20% of everything I say on here is complete bollocks, right? But at least I don't say
1: that. Colin Irwin finds himself at a summer ball in Hampstead to watch the House Martins play a gig they can't get out of. So they start Tory baiting the audience and pretend to be happy that Argentina beat England in the World Cup. Backstage, they reveal that they don't know what to make of suddenly being catapulted into the top ten and having girls hang about their record label offices and having to sign autographs, and are even considering putting out a blatantly uncommercial follow-up to Happy Hour to put the brakes on their rapid rise to the top and they want to chop the royal family up and sell the bits to Japanese tourists. (laughs) Well, watch out for those guys. And Carol Clark sits in the back garden of Arista Records with a duo back on the comeback trail. Dollar! Hey! They tell her about their split in Japan when someone asked David Van Day to do something he didn't want to do and he immediately (laughs) bought a ticket home. (laughs) Yeah, stop being a cunt, David. Probably. What they've been doing in the interim, which was Van Day launching a flop solo career and Bazaar producing a band from Birmingham who acted like animals and pissed the record company off so much they refused to put the record out. According to Van Day, we'd like to be remembered like Sonny and Cher.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they kind of will be, won't they? I guess.
1: Barry and Yvonne. Uh,
2: (laughs) I was thinking the other day, if you had a, a dollar tribute band... Right. Mm. Would you call them the Australian dollar? Very good. Or would you just have to go with David Van Day's dollar?
1: <laughs> <laughs> single reviews. This week's singles are reviewed by Caroline Sullivan, and the crop is so poor that none of them is worthy of the term single of the week. White Night by Adult Net, the full side project band led by Brick Smith, appears to be the best of the lot. I've never heard of fall song, or I might dislike Mark Smith more vehemently than I do. His consort seems to share his dreary indie characteristics, which make me realise how much I'll miss Wham. But on her own, far from Hubby's sobering influence, Brix makes great exuberant splatters of trash rock, and this is her best
2: yet. There, there are many criticisms of Marky e. Smith, which I would concede are perfectly fair but dreary indie characteristics is one that could only be levelled by someone who has indeed never heard a false
1: Sullivan lumps together Touch and Go by Emerson, Lake and Powell, <laughs> Coronach by Jethro Tull, and Your Wildest Dreams by The Moody Blues, and expresses her fears of a prog revival. All three singles are more of the same. Oh, the dinosaurs are back in force, aren't they? (laughs) Jane County's cover of San Francisco. Be sure to wear some flowers in your hair. Get some meaty thumbs up. You criticise Jane County at your peril. The letters pages of other mags have been bombarded by communiques from this sensitive artist who takes great umbrage at the merest intimation that a bubblegum verity releases might be rather silly things. I'll save Jane 17p. Fucking L 17p. By pronouncing this more interesting than a Smith single. She said it. But it's a coat down for every beat of my heart by Rod Stewart. Stewart is weakest in his reflective moments, which surface every few releases, as if to atone for the slobbishness of the rest of his stuff. I'd opt every time for the gross exuberance of Baby Jane rather than this. While one may acknowledge that he's got problems like everyone else, as outlined in this single, there is simply no way to feel sorry for him. That's a fucking shit record, that is. (laughs) Wait till we get to that one. Mm. It just leaves me with an image of Rod Stewart trying to staple a fucking seagull to his crotch. (laughs) in a doomed attempt to fly home. <laughs> Guile by Bruce and Bongo may well be the number one single in German air, but that butters no parsnips with Sullivan. I listened to this novelty record twice because the press release said its double entendre German title is explained within its 3.55 minutes. 14 choruses of I'm so guile, you're so guile, we're so guile, everybody's guile later, I'm unenlightened and cross. (laughs) Jack Bruce's update of I Feel Free is given the shortest of shrift ignoble remodel of a splendor for a song this won't impress the pre-pubes like last week's enemy reviewer who seemed unaware that the thing had an identity as other than the Renault music <laughs> in this week's enemy singles review someone's written that lady in red by Christberg isn't going to be a hit <laughs> whoa their faces must be as red as that lady <laughs> this week's charity single we got the love by jersey artists for mankind which consists of bruce springsteen and his mates plus frankie valet is the usual epic anthem but it's pretty stirring stuff what a disappointment that jersey artists for mankind is is american jersey and not our jersey <laughs> <laughs> you can have tony jacklin and major bennis in it. <laughs> <laughs> There's not one but two singles about Frank Bruno and his upcoming fight with Tim Witherspoon this week. Where's Harry by The Contenders Ugh. and Bruno by Johnny Wakelin, the Ugh. Ali the Black Superman slash In hitmaker. Sullivan prefers the latter, even though the cover has caused mither in the Bruno camp, with the title being printed on the soles of a boxer's feet, implying that our Frank is doomed. And he was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever heard that uh, Johnny Wakelin
2: record, Bruno? No. No. Well, one thing you can say for it is it's perfectly downscaled from Inzair. Right, as yeah. as Frank Bruno was to Muhammad Ali, so Bruno Ooh. is to In <laughs>
1: Love of a Lifetime by Shaka Khan is hampered by being produced by Skritti Polite. Bang Zoom Let's Go Go by The Real Roxanne with Howie T is, quote, a rather average hip-hop track. <laughs> and Don't Be Scared of Me by The Blow Monkeys is a lively fluff thing jazzed up by preposterous warbling and a bleating saxophone. So, yeah, fits in with about 90% of the output of the mid-80s, that. Mm, very much so. I, couldn't, I didn't
0: know you, if the singles were shit, you didn't have to give a singles of the week. You know, I had to make things single of the week that weren't that good. Really? Because you sometimes, well, I mean,
1: I I usually found a couple. What's the one record that you've given single of the week that is just the biggest load of dog shit? Oh, well, I've never given one to the one that's absolutely dog shit. No, but but, um, out of the ones you've given single of the week, which one was the, the worst? Oh, fucking hell, fucking hell, fucking hell.
2: Did you ever do the singles the week before Christmas, Neil? No, I don't think I did, Taylor. That was bad because <laughs> yeah. nobody put a record out yeah, in yeah, yeah. December because it's too late for Christmas, mm. and it was just going to get lost. So there'd be about like twelve singles in the pile, which meant you had to review all of them. <laughs> yeah. um, and I did it once, and you
0: had to make one single of the week, I presume. Yeah,
2: yeah, I did it once. My single of the week was a Nick Haywood solo single. In which year? 95. Uh, he was all right. Yeah, he yeah, was. But it's
1: 1995 and he's Nick Haywood. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I gave Underwater Love by Smoke City single of the week once, which is a terrible, boring trip hop tune. Mm. Um, but you would this was in the days when you had to do three singles of the week um, what oh yeah that started happening that there wasn't just one single of the week that you had like three singles of the week um, so I had to choose three and two of them are great and one of them was yeah this underwater love thing which is now just it, it's the, it's a fucking bank commercial theme tune really no. Um, but because it wasn't um you know it didn't feature the coronation street cast or something like that which <laughs> seems to be what was dominating the rest of that week yeah it managed to make it single of the week but i didn't realize we had this option thing is with caroline sullivan the reason she's not getting on with any of these singles caroline sullivan is very much i could tell from the moment i started reading melody maker she was a very optimist writer yeah. and she was odd oddly isolated at melody maker really mm. um she was very much the person that they gave all the pop stuff to mm. whereas everyone else got on with the important business of writing about the mission so. Yeah, yeah.
1: In the LP review section, the lead review is given over to Revenge by Eurhythmics, and Barry McElhenney seriously reckons it. Revenge, presumably, on all those faint hearts who are standing by with the obituaries after the long sabbatical of last year and the relative flop of the supposedly crucial comeback single when tomorrow comes. Well, the flowers will have to wait a while, thankfully, as Britain's premier double acts stomp proudly on with their most accomplished release to date. (laughs) (laughs) This idea
0: that, you know, the year before, everyone was preparing obituaries, for the Eurythmics, like anyone gave up <laughs> their also this, this really is like
2: Melody Maker circa 1986 yeah, yeah. their most accomplished release to date <laughs> say what you like about the Eurythmics you have to admit they're accomplished <laughs> it's like, well what, what exactly have they accomplished well they've accomplished this, their most accomplished release to date <laughs> and it may not be your personal taste but you can't deny the accomplishment. (laughs) So no wonder people were still reading the NME, which was fucking boring as death
1: around this time. Carol Clerk spends a big chunk of a review of Every Beat of My Heart by Rod Stewart by going on about how great Rod Stewart is. And this album does not disappoint her. Even though Rod has rewritten the killing of Georgie and called it From Here to Eternity. Sings lines like, I met her in a little French cafe, legs like a young giraffe. <laughs>
0: Jesus.
1: Come on, Rod. Legs like a young giraffe eh. <laughs> Or calf, fuck's sake. Yeah. I, I yeah. had to go and listen to that to find out, because I thought, he's obviously going to say, I met her in a calf, legs like a giraffe. But no, he doesn't. Yeah.
2: <laughs> this is coming from the man who gave us, she was tall, thin and tarty, and she drove a Maserati. Yeah. Which is <laughs> like, you know, come on, you can do it.
1: <laughs> Anna's done a barbershop raga of the Beatles in my life. It's all far too ordinary far too clean to be taken seriously at all but that's the point with this album rod stewart takes the piss out of himself as well as us and that I admire Brilliant. <laughs> Brian Case has a listen to Bring On The Night, Sting's live jazz odyssey featuring tracks from Dream Of The Blue Turtles and Lesser Police LP tracks, and thinks it's a bit of a waste of musicians like Branford Masalis and Kenny Kirkland. <laughs> DC Lee has attempted to strike out without the help of Paul Weller with her debut LP Shrine, but Will Smith reckons she's dropped a massive bollock. I think she was still seeing Paul Weller at this point. (laughs) (laughs) In doing the decent thing and attempting to minimise any predictable associations with Chairman Weller, Lee has severed a strong source of songwriting ability. A huge disappointment. Should the world fail to fall apart by Peter Murphy demonstrates that he doesn't know the difference between a shaman and a sham, according to Steve Sutherland. Simon Reynolds thinks sacrifice by throbbing gristle is brilliant, yet somehow pointless. Mark Cordery deems of McGideon by Lee Perret a living dream of a record. And songs from Liquid Days by Philip Glassley's Paul Mathur distinctly unimpressed, even though it's got David Byrne, Laurie Anderson, Suzanne Vega, and Paul Simon on it. Mm.
2: Well, it's telling that that very early Simon Reynolds review contains the only sentence that we've heard, uh, which provokes even the gentlest thought.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just those four words. And he's right as well. Gristle Gristlehagpot kind of pointless by that point.
1: In the gig guide. Well, David could have seen Rod Stewart, ELO, Fergal Sharkey and the Blow Monkeys at Wembley Stadium. They were doing a benefit for Ronnie Lane, I believe erasure and pete shelley at the euston shore theater that petrol emotion at the mean fiddler madonna in slag city at the camden center all the communards sandy Shaw, the beverly sisters tom robinson and sue pollard at the gay pride festival in kennington park but probably didn't but he did (laughs) see james blood ulmer at the electric ballroom that week because that was his first review for melody maker Oh, wow. Yeah. Taylor could have seen Rod Stewart at the Birmingham Odeon, Pause of Men for the Virgin at Mega's Wine Bar. <laughs> what? Orphan at the Barrel Organ, or Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames at the Elbow Room. Did you uh, hang out at Mega's Wine Bar, <laughs> Taylor? <laughs> no,
2: I can't say I did.
1: <laughs> Neil could have seen Howard Hughes and the Western Approaches at Buster's, or Napalm Death at the Hand oh. and Heart, and fuck all Fucking else. Fucking
0: yes. Napalm Death, or Although Lee Dorian from Napalm Death, um, I've got um, history with that guy. Oh, really? He threatened to glass me. What? It was several years after he was in Napalm Death and he was in a band called Cathedral. And this is in the early nineties. This was, I think, just when I just started being a music journalist. And I ran into him in a bar in Coventry called Browns. And I'd never met Lee Dorian before. I had a lot of friends who were friends with him, and I just mm. thought I'd say hello. Um, but he has this kind of—I don't—I don't know what the, the, the sort of class equivalent of gaydar is. He could spot I was a posh kid basically straight away. You could spot I was middle class, Ooh. and he was a bit pissed up and leery. And yeah, he just threatened to glass me that night, um, which is a shame because quite like a lot of the music. Without even knowing, you wrote for Melody Maker. No, I think I think he, I think it emerged in discussion or something oh uh, uh, the, no not that i was a melody maker that wasn't what pissed him off what pissed him off is that i was a posh kid um uh-huh. and i went to a certain school in Coventry that he obviously just wanted to to glass everyone there gotta say i've known posher <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's comparatively posh it's comparatively posh for Cough, i guess but i mean hand and heart has some history for me it's up far Gosford street it's the pub actually where my um my band came together uh, the band that I'm in, we first met up at the Hand and Heart on a night when mm. my mate was putting on um, Eddie Temple Tudor and had to deal with um, Eddie Temple Tudor's diabetic coma attack and get Ooh, him some sugar huh. super quick. That was the night my band formed. So yeah, Hand and Heart's got some history. Lee darling has got some history, not all of it good.
1: Sarah could have seen the meteors at Leeds Adam and Eve's, the Mecons at Leeds Central Station Hotel, the Incest Brothers at Bradford Royal Standard. That's inappropriate. I don't think a mama let her go and see the Incest Brothers. <laughs> and I don't think Sarah nowadays would want to see them. <laughs> no. And Pulp at Sheffield Western Park. That's mental, isn't it? Yeah, Stone Rose and the Happy Mondays. They're, they're uh, in the gig guide this week. They're, they're all about waiting. Mm. Al could have seen Easter House at Trent Polley and been forced to having to go to Leicester to see Big Country at De Montford Hall. And Simon could have seen, we've got a fuzz box and we're going to use it with the Nightingales and Ted Chippington at Nero's in Cardiff and been glad of it because <coughs> there's nothing else going on in Wales that week. Terrible. I think the alarm we're having a week off or something. (laughs) In the letters page, the main topic of conversation this week is Steve Sutherland and the Stud Brothers' review of this year's Glastonbury. And Martin P. Johnson of Camberwell is not impressed, particularly at the fact that they all fucked off a day earlier. I bought Melody Maker purely because it had a so-called review of Glastonbury in it he writes double whammy there so-called and review in air quotes (laughs) now I wish I hadn't the article should have been called being a rock journalist at Glastonbury because the reviews had as much relevance to the festival as my arse yeah (laughs) I wonder if that's the
2: one I'm thinking there was a Brothers review of Glastonbury once that had one of my favourite sentences in it where they was they were in a car trying to get out and there was all like uh, travelers like trying to attack their car for some reason <laughs> they were stuck in the mud um with all these kind of angry faces around the car, and, and they said this has become us and them they are us we
0: are them nice the thing is with 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 um Glastonbury and things like that it was very much a very there was always letters in the week after about how in a sense journalists weren't pulling their weight or in a sense weren't yeah. fully immersed in the festival experience it always yeah. used to happen. you kind of had to prove you kind of you were you, you know you were there and of course what that does is it accentuates an awful lot of reviews in a sense where you're at a festival you deliberately punch yourself up a little bit in in the writing that you're in some mm. way you know perched on a stool um sort of stood there looking at these muddy bastards and you're nothing to do with it because you don't want their mud on mm. your um getting in your creme de month um but it it, it, it <laughs> used to be that every fucking glastonbury festival there'd be a letter in the let's page were you really at the same festival because you know you've got to be an inc- mm. mud
1: encrusted fucking hippie to have been there at all Do you think Martin Bell got the same treatment? Oh, you you weren't at that war. You were in your hotel watching it out the window. Why didn't you get shot? Well, these people have gone to a festival, had a bit of a shitty time.
0: They've come back, and I think they perceive journalists as, yes, swallowing around backstage and all of that.
2: Which we absolutely were, yeah. (laughs) Who in their fucking right mind wouldn't? Oh, God, yeah. I can understand when people got a bit pissed off the year that I missed the minibus to the site or something to get a taxi late and reviewed half the day off the telly.
0: (laughs) A lot of people were very pissed off with it, but I thought that was a great review. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I got a load of grief just for calling Neil Young Neil fucking old I mean oh, come on, grow up
2: guys yeah what no one had ever heard anyone say that before I <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> couldn't handle it no but come on I no look Neil a... I, don't do yourself <laughs> down your actual opening line of that review which for some mm. reason has stuck in my head was Neil Young might have the same Christian name as me but I've pissed rusty water out of my ass that was better
0: than this <laughs> 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 I remember that and, and kind of I also suggested because I think Pearl Jam is back in band that night and I suggested that Pearl Jam sort of sat him in a chair in the middle of the stage and thrown a beach ball to him (laughs) sort of back and forth and I said that he resembled Tandoori Elephant or something like this and and people (laughs) fucking wrote in loads of people really moaned about it and somebody wrote in saying you should have sent Alan Jones to review this as he would have given it a proper review Mm, and gratifyingly, I think it was Andrew Muller during the replies he said I asked Jones about this kick he said it was one of the most diabolical things he'd ever seen so it's nice (laughs) to get that back up you know
2: I love the idea of someone going, like, give Alan Jones a chance to write about Neil Young and Pearl
1: (laughs) Simo of Leicester asks why they're bothering to cover Zig Zig Sputnik when Lou Reed has shown them how to do it with the track Video Violence off his latest LP and asks for an interview with him. He is told that Lou Reed doesn't deal with Melody Maker anymore, not since Alan Jones wrote about one of his post gig strops. <laughs> Tim Barr of Dunfermline is well dischuffed about Carol Clerk's recent interview with Samantha Fox. Did her facile, star interview really have to include such a desperate admission as Do You Do You Wanna Please Me makes more sense to me as a pop record than holding back the years ever will? If I want to read rubbish of this order, then I'll buy sounds.
2: <laughs> <laughs> She's so trying, to, trying to suck up at the same time as having a go. Mm.
1: People used to do that a lot. Yeah. Karen Clayton of Montreal has a right go at Jim Shelley for his recent interview with Peter Gabriel, claiming that we all knew a turd like Shelley at school, or the kid who ridiculed any classmate with big ears, a stammer, or in any way different. Chris Blackwell of Porno Fantasy Island inquires if he can get a copy of the Addicted to Love video, quote, with just the gorgeous pouting girls in, minus their crooning father, because he keeps putting me (laughs) off my stroke. Jesus. And Janice Long of Radio One asks Melody Maker to ask Martin Degville to return her shorts. (laughs) 48 pages, 50p i never knew there was so much in it <laughs> it's also the first time we've mentioned sounds as well isn't it in what regard was sounds held by the colleagues at melody maker
0: feeder club yeah mm. yeah yeah
1: and for readers sounds
0: was a bit dirtier a bit rockier a bit closer to kerrang oh yeah that
2: sounds at its uh, at its market <sighs> yeah basically if you like metal but you wanted to read a music paper, you would read Sounds. And mm. You know, nothing wrong with that. But as writers, people came through Sounds. Yeah. They didn't really stay at
1: Sounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, Chris Roberts came from Sounds, didn't he? Um, I think, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So what else was on telly this day? Well, BBC One starts the day at 6am with 50 minutes of CFAX AM. Then it's breakfast time with Selena Scott and Guy Mitchellmore. That's followed by the parent programme, which looks at how to cope with, survive and enjoy your under fives, according to Radio Times. (laughs) After another 55 minute CFAX data blast, it's play school. And then we're wanged over to Edgbaston for the opening day of the third test between England and India. After the news and hokey-cokey with Carol Chell and Don Spencer, it's over to Wimbledon for three and a half hours of the ladies' semi-final matches. Then it's regional news in your area, the Laurel and Hardy Short handy-dandy diary, the Kids Adventure Serial Treasure in Malta, Dungeons and Dragons, and then Peter Duncan joins the Royal Marines for a yomp in Duncan Dares. Then, John Peel takes Robbie Vincent out for a bike ride in Go For It, the health programme. Sue Lawley and Nicholas Witch will do the six o'clock news, and we've just come out of regional news in your area. BBC Two commences with 25 minutes of hardcore open university action, and then closes down for five and a quarter hours, before picking up the cricket and tennis right the way through to ten past eight. ITV kicks off at five to seven with Good Morning Britain, then it's Blockbusters, the French cartoon series Robo Story, The Longest Row, a documentary about someone rowing across an ocean, narrated by James Mason, I think, (laughs) then California Highways, Home Cookery Club, About Britain, Tales from Fat Tulip's Garden, Puddle Lane and Contact. After the news and regional news in your area, it's something to treasure. The Royal Show, Take the High Road, more regional news in your area, and then Sons and Daughters, followed by Love and Laughter, then Tears (laughs) and Sadness (laughs) and Happiness. (laughs) <laughs> After a repeat of Tales from Fat Loop's Garden, it's the Moomins, Nature Trail and Under the Same Sky. Then Paul Jones and Julia McKenzie join in on the ultra-cheap shaking charade show, Give Us a Clue. After the news at 5.45, it's Crossroads, regional news in your area, and they've just started Emmerdale Farm. Channel 4 has had a big doss in bed reading Spare Rib or whatever until a quarter past two (laughs) and then come forward with a repeat of all the red-hot action in the House of Lords yesterday with their lordship's house. Then it's the 1942 film, Much Too Shy, where George Formby plays a painter who gets into some serious shit when an advertising agency buys his head-and-shoulder portraits of prominent locals and slaps them on nudie bodies. After a Three Stooges short, it's the Brazilian disco telenovela Dancing Days, then the 1942 western Tombstone, The Town Too Tough to Die, followed by the magazine show Union World, and they've just started Channel 4 News. This is July, man. There's, There's not much summer holiday shit going on here, is there? Well, you got cricket, you got Wimbledon.
0: I guess that feels somewhat some The thing that leaps out for me is Dungeons & Dragons. I used to love that show. Yeah. Um, and, and that show's proved its worth recently. Very useful, citing Dungeons & Dragons mm. when seeking to annoy Games of Thrones fans. Um, yes. Yeah, they don't like it when you compare the two.
1: It's a fucking hate it when cricket and tennis were on all day. Oh, I used to like the, having the cricket.
2: All. Yeah, I like the cricket. I like the cricket. Especially if you were off school, sick. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You could just sort of see. it just if you felt a bit fluy, yeah. You can just sit there and there's the sound of the the passing cars and the yeah. gentle ripples of applause
0: mm. just wash over. you. I, w- I would have been very much failing the Tebbit test that day and cheering on Kapil Dev and yeah. Gavaskar for India.
1: But Wimbledon can fuck off yeah, yeah. all the way off, <laughs> Neil. No, you know how. You you always say that somewhere in the world right now, someone's selecting uh, a Made in England by Elton John and choosing to play it. Yeah, I get the same feeling about people who wake up in the morning and go, fucking yes, Wimbledon's on, there's tennis <laughs> on the telly all day and I'm going to watch all of it.
0: I just don't get it. I've got to give you a game out. I like tennis and I play it.
1: I like playing tennis. Yeah, I yeah. just fucking hate watching it. <laughs> This was a golden age, though, 86. You've got Lendl, you've oh, got... Imagine us two. I, I don't know what you're like at tennis. Imagine me playing tennis, then, man. It would be good.
0: <laughs> I do take it seriously. I've got to say, I'm not up for just a knockabout, Out. It'd be three sets.
1: Oh, why am I not surprised by that? <laughs> <laughs> do you grunt? No, I don't. I don't grunt. Oh, man. Do you make any noises?
0: No, no, I, I, oh, I don't, actually. I, That's
1: the only point of tennis. <laughs> the only point of tennis is the ability to go... Ugh! in public
0: yeah like Lulu yes
1: exactly (laughs) like Lulu
0: no I'll say get the fuck in if I get a shot in but no I don't make noises but that was a golden era 86 you got Lendl everything's exciting Gabriella Sabatini it's nice
2: Do you not even like Wimbledon when it's a a plucky Brit up
1: against some (laughs) hard-faced
0: Eastern European tennis robot? (laughs) Well, everyone likes that when the plucky Brit gets completely annihilated and Henman Hill falls silent.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, then, Popcraters. I do believe that this table has been laid. It's it's, it's, it's a very messy lay. Mm. Mm. We got there, though. We got there. The, The knives and forks aren't exactly aligned straight. No. And there's a few stains on the tablecloth, but we'll ignore that <laughs> and we'll come back tomorrow for the next part of this episode of chart music when we get properly stuck into this episode of Top of the Pops. So, thank you very much Taylor Parks. All right. God bless you Neil Colcarno. Thanks, man. My name's Al Needham and by God if you don't stay pop crazed, I'm going to have a fucking word with you. <laughs> Sharp music. Greatbigowl.com
0: Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain.
2: My name is Eleanor Morton.
1: My name is David Reed. Please
0: join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world you had any
1: noises?
2: What about um, a door creaking? Uh, no, uh, you don't
1: have to do it. That, weird, that. weird kadunk that yeah, lights going off makes for some reason in <laughs> films. All Rather Mysterious.